Hello, everybody, and welcome back for another great episode of the Practical Parsha podcast with Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. If you have any questions, comments, would like to reach out and say hello, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomokon with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayechi. And at the end of this week's Torah portion, we will be finishing the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshis, and we will say, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek. Be strong, be strong, and we will be strengthened. And next week, God willing, we will begin the book of Shemos, the book of Exodus, which talks about the Jewish people's descent into slavery in Egypt and our eventual redemption from its Ryan and our acceptance of the Torah. And there's something very unique about Parsha's Vayechi that you only find in this week's Parsha. And that is that normally on a regular week when we're reading the Torah portion, there's a space, there's a gap. There's between each verse, there is a little bit of space. And that's how we know that it's a new Parsha. But for Parsha's Vayechi, it's closed. That means there's no gap between the words of last week's parsha, the verses from last week's parsha, Vayigash, to this week's Torah portion of Vayechi. And the commentaries explain that the reason that is so is because it's teaching us two important lessons, as Rashi brings down. Number one is, is that the reason why this parsha is a closed parsha is because it's teaching us that after Jacob died, as we're going to talk about, that Vayechi means literally that Jacob lived and that he was about to pass on, that the fact that it was a closed parsha teaches us that after Yaakov Avinu passes away, the hearts and the eyes of the Jewish people closed from the, the troubles of the Shibud Mitzrayim, which is the enslavement had begun. Another answer which is given in Rashi is that the Yaakov Avinu Jacob wished to reveal the end, the final redemption to his sons, the Mashiach, when that would be, and God took that away from him, hid that from him, did not let that, did not let him reveal it to his children. And this really brings up a very important lesson about hope and about outlook. That even if we're in the darkest moments, we still have the ability to have a good outlook, to have a positive outlook, to have hope and to not let the situation we're in define who we are. Just to give a quick overview of this week's Parsha, of Parsha's Vayechi, the Torah tells us about Yaakov Avinu's passing, that Jacob sees that his end is near, and he requests that Joseph, his, his son, who is the ruler, the viceroy of Egypt, come to him because he's the one who's going to be able to fulfill his final wishes. He brings his son's Menashe and Ephraim, Yosef's two children, to Yaakov Avinu, to Jacob, to get blessings. Jacob blesses them with the famous blessing that we're going to talk about. That you should, that the children of Israel, when we bless our children, that they should be like Ephraim and Menashe. After blessing Yosef and his children, he gives blessings to the rest of his sons. All, each one, getting a special blessing for their specific strengths and abilities. The Parsha finishes 
with Yaakov Avinu's, with Jacob's, how all of Egypt mourns for him, how Yosef gets permission to bury his father outside of Egypt and fulfills the promise that he made to his father earlier in the Parsha. Finally, the Torah portion concludes with Yosef living out his years, with him making his brothers and his descendants swear that they would take his bones out of Egypt when they will eventually leave. The first idea I wanted to focus on is on the exchange between Yaakov and Yosef. Yaakov calls Yosef to fulfill his final will and testament to be buried outside of the land of Egypt. He wishes to be buried in the cave of Machpelah with, with the other patriarchs and matriarchs of our people, Avram, Yitzchak, Sarah, Rivka, Leah, and, and the Torah tells us of the interaction that he has with his son Yosef. And he says to him, But as for me, when I came from Padon, Rachel died on me in the land of Canaan on the road while there was still a stretch of land to go to Ephras. And I buried her there on the road to Ephras, which is Beis Lachem. And in Rashi, Yaakov was telling Yosef in his conversation after asking him to be buried in the land of Israel, he sensed that perhaps Yosef maybe harbored resentments toward his father because he was asking his son to take him out of the land of Egypt a far distance to the cave of Machpelah when he didn't do that for his wife and Yosef's mother, Rachel. So he felt he had to tell him why he had done what he had done, why he had not buried Rachel, the, his wife and mother of Yosef, in the cave of Machpelah where he would be buried himself. And he says, he came from Padam Aram and, and, he, and he was on the way and Rashi explains on this a little bit more. He says something very interesting. He says, Even though I'm quote-unquote bothering you to take me to the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, and I didn't do this to your mother, he says, because she, she passed away near Beis Lechem, Bethlehem. And Rashi explains over there, that so I didn't even take her to Beis Lechem, to Bethlehem, He's telling his son Yosef, I buried her according to the word of God. I did it because Hashem wanted that when the Jewish people are exiled from the Holy Land during the time of the, the Romans and they're going to be passing by that the Jewish people will daven, will pray by her, her gravesite, and Rachel will have pity on the Jewish people, and she will, she will pray for them. As as Rashi quotes from the verse, Nishma from the verse in Yirmiyah and Jeremiah. And the question could be asked: Why did Yaakov have to give? a whole long explanation to Yosef about why he buried his mother where he buried her. Right? He said, he said it was not because the distance to Hebron was long, because Bethlehem is near Hebron. It was also not because of the bad weather that I did not take her to Hebron because it was the dry season. Right? It was easy to bury. I buried her there because God instructed me to do so, so that when the Jews would be driven into exile, they could pass her gravesite, beseech her to intercede with God on their behalf. So the question which Reb Chaim Shmulevitz asked is that why 
did Yaakov? Why did Jacob have to give this whole lengthy explanation to Yosef? Couldn't he have told his son that the reason why I buried your mother in Bethlehem is because that's what God told me to do? Why does he have to give a whole reason? That it wasn't because it wasn't too far and it wasn't because it wasn't too hard. Just say the reason is that I buried her in Beis Lachem was because Hashem told us to do that. Hashem told me to do that because in the future there would be a time when the Jewish people would need to pray by her gravesite. And the explanation which Chaim Shalavitz gives is a fundamental lesson for us when it comes to not just doing the right things but having the right intentions as well. We know that Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, when he went to greet Esav, his brother, he took his daughter Dina and he put her in a box. He hid her away from his brother so he wouldn't desire her and want to, to marry her. And the commentaries explain that Yaakov was punished because of what he did. And the question that is asked is why was he punished for protecting his daughter? Why was he punished for taking Dina and putting her away, putting her in a box, hiding her? And the answer to that is that the reason why Yaakov Avinu on his great level was punished that his daughter Dina was, was captured and raped by Shechem was not because he hid her from Esav, his, his wicked brother Esav. But rather it's because when he hid her away when he closed the box, he did it tightly. He closed the box tight. He did it with the improper feeling that even though he was doing this for a good reason, he there was the there was a little bit of a wrong reasoning in his heart that was involved in the process. And that's why he was culpable to her being captured and held hostage and raped. So even though Jacob did the right thing, the intentions he had when he was doing what he was doing maybe was not where it was supposed to be. And this brings us back to our point and our question. Because the question that we ask is that why did Yaakov have to give this lengthy explanation as to why he did what he did? And then say at the end of that explanation that God had told him to bury her there. Just say, God had told me. And the answer is, is that it's easy to do things and rationalize that you're doing it for the sake of Hashem. You're doing it for the sake of God. It was only after Yaakov had gone through the motions of saying that I could have, it's easier for me to bring her to the cave of Machpelah. It's easier for me to, to bring her to Hebron. And he didn't do these things. So then it was because of the will of God, meaning he had gone through all the avenues to check to be truly honest with himself if what he was doing was 100% according to what Hashem wanted. And he wasn't flubbing it. He wasn't trying to convince himself which something which maybe necessarily wasn't so true. And that's what he was trying to tell Yosef, that I didn't make up something that it was the will of Hashem. I went through every avenue. I, I totally was objective in my reasoning to make sure that what I did was according to Hashem's will. Had the weather been bad or the distance to Hebron had been long, Yaakov could have, could, was, could have not been certain that he was bearing Rachel elsewhere because it was Hashem's wish, because it was what Hashem wanted. But the fact that it was 
more convenient for him to do otherwise, to not bury her here, prove to him that that truly was Hashem's will and he was being really objective in his opinion and he knew for sure that that's what, what Hashem wanted. And the lesson that's for us to take out of this is that many times it's we're very clever in telling ourselves and rationalizing and even deceiving ourselves that what we're doing is what God wants. We justify many things in our lives that way. When we're making important decisions, specifically when it comes to our spiritual lives and you know different important things that are going to affect our relationship with Hashem, with God, and our relationship with others, we have to be truly objective. And sometimes being objective means asking another person who's really not part of the decision, who we could, we could bounce something off, a, a teacher, a rabbi, a rabbi, a mentor, somebody who could truly be honest with us if what we're doing is correct, it's the, the, the right thing, what Hashem wants. Another thought which I wanted to share about this week's Parsha is focuses on the blessings that Yaakov gives to his sons. And the first thing we need to talk about is that what is a blessing? What is a bracha? You know, we say we make a blessing on food. We call that a bracha. And we say baruch is translated as blessed are you. And really, the translation on a more accurate term, the word baruch, when we make a blessing over food, is that baruch means, doesn't mean blessed, it means baruch is that you are the source of blessing, that God is the source of all blessing. And many times you'll have a custom that somebody who is a righteous person, someone who is an elderly person, we ask them for a blessing. And um, there's different understandings of what a blessing is. How does that work? You know, we only believe in God. God is the one who ultimately gives us that, showers that blessing, the goodness upon us. So how are we asking a human being that, that something should be good for us, that something should come true. Is that what we're doing? So the answer is no. When we ask someone for a blessing, it doesn't mean we're asking them to be, you know, to give us the goodness, to, to fulfill our wishes, sort of like a genie. That's not what we're asking. Rather, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish is that that person should be a conduit for us to God. That through the righteous person giving us the blessing, that it's sort of this request is like it's easier to be fulfilled, God willing. That the, the righteous person, the person who is elderly, who is our esteemed, has sort of a direct line with God, and therefore we try to take advantage of it to use it to bring down the blessing from Hashem through that individual. And Yaakov, he's going to give his blessings to his children before he dies, and to each one of the children, he gives a different blessing. You know, he compares Yehuda to a lion. He says Naphtali is like a deer. He calls Yisachar like a donkey. And each one of his sons, he gives them a specific blessing based on the strengths and the abilities that each and every one of them have. And if you look at the verses... You go through them, they're very beautiful. How he calls his son and how he, how he praises them and how he tells them to use their abilities. And, you know, there's a conception out there sometimes is that when it comes to Judaism, 
It's sort of one size fits all. And unfortunately, that's an incorrect assessment of Torah Judaism. Because although we have the Torah as our framework, as our guide, our blueprint, our guiding light of what we could of what we do and how we conduct ourselves. We have the Shochanarach, the code of Jewish law. In Judaism, there's the recognition that everyone is different. Everyone has their abilities and their strengths and their weaknesses. And it's only when we all come together that we're able to be this complete picture, to to be this whole Jewish nation. You know, there's a beautiful idea that I saw, I believe it's from Rav Nachman of Breslov, that we know that in a Sefer Torah, there's 600,000 letters. I never counted, but this is what Rav Nachman says. And the 600,000 letters of the Sefer Torah correspond to the 600,000 souls of the Jewish people. That according to Kabbalistic sources, there's 600,000 souls and either we're, we're all reincarnates of those souls or we're, we're parts of those original 600,000 souls, which is the amount of people that came out of Egypt. And we know that in a Torah, if there's one letter missing, the Torah is not kosher. It's not a good Torah. You cannot use it to lane from, to read the Torah from on Shabbos. You cannot use it. It's not kosher. You can't make a blessing over it. And it's very interesting because many things in Judaism, we go according to majority. Majority rules, you know, if... if um, different mixtures, a kosher mixture uh, falls into a permitted mixture. It could be if something kosher, if something non-kosher falls into something kosher, there are times in halacha, if to ask a rabbi, that it's permitted because we go into majority. Or if there's 60 times of permitted, it outweighs, it nullifies the, some, the food which is not kosher. But by the Sefer Torah, if there's one letter missing, it's not kosher. And Rabbi Nachman explains that these 600,000 souls correspond to the letters of the Sefer Torah. That just like if there's one letter is missing from the Torah, the Torah is not complete, it's not kosher, cannot be used. So too in the Jewish people, if one Jewish soul is missing, we're not complete. And we have to recognize that just like an army, if you have an army, there are many divisions in an army. And each department each unit does something different. You know, many people think that when it comes to, you know, the army, everyone's shooting guns, but happen to be that's the minority of the people in a fighting force. The people who are the infantry soldiers are the minority. They're not the biggest number of people. There's so many people behind them that are the support system for the whole operation of this fighting force. Without them, it can't function, right? Is the guy... The guy who's a soldier in the army, he's flipping burgers in the kitchen. Is he not important? He's also important to the functioning of the army because if there's no cooks, there's no food, they can't go. If the guy is working in the office, he's also important. And there's different units. There's so many different, some are land units, some are in the sea, some are air force, right? Everybody has a different job and we have to all use our strengths and our abilities to serve Hashem to be this complete nation. And that's something we have to recognize ourselves 
that we all have strengths. We all have abilities. And our job is to use the strengths and abilities which Hashem has given us, those tools to serve Him to the fullest and to complete the Jewish people as a whole. So both individually, we have to use our strengths and also as a whole to, to use it for the betterment of the Jewish people, whatever strengths we have. And if we all think about it, we all have something to offer. We have all something to give. We all have something we're good at. And we should use that, think about that, from the blessings of Yaakov Avinu to his sons, that each one of his sons got a different blessing. It wasn't one blessing for everybody. Rather, each one got something tailored for him to use his strengths for the betterment of all the Jewish people, for ever, all the 12 tribes to come together. And that's why we have 12 tribes. That it's a recognition that we're different. But yet at the same time, when we serve God in the framework of the Torah, we have the ability to use all our strengths and to truly bring out our full potential. That's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomakomodekei at gmail.com. Everyone, have a great day.